And so like no longer are the days of just slapping a logo on our, our big screen and calling it a day. Like we got to do a lot more for our partners. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here, you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 51, and today's guest is Sean Fowler, Director of Digital Marketing for Tepper Sports and Entertainment. I'm a big sports fan, so this is going to be fun hearing the behind-the-scenes stories of digital marketing for sports franchises. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Brandstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sean Fowler. Sean is the Director of Digital Marketing at Tepper Sports and Entertainment. Sean is driving digital marketing strategies across the Carolina Panthers, Charlotte FC, and Bank of America Stadium. Under owner David Tepper, the Carolina Panthers and Charlotte FC are looking forward to a new era of continued success, business growth, and even deeper engagement with the community, fans, marketing partners, and other constituents. Sean got his first taste of the digital world in eighth grade when he was offered a $60,000 a year job as a web designer after winning an online contest. The offer was rescinded when the company figured out that he was only 14 years old. Welcome, Sean, to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. Appreciate it. Well, that's uh, kind of an interesting story. 14 years old, winning a $60,000 a year job. I guess uh, they didn't do their due diligence in figuring out who was entering the contest. Yeah, so surprisingly, I, I used my dad's name to get in there. And I was, my, you know, my dad was a pretty progressive. We had computers when I was younger. You know, I fell in love with computers, but also fell in love with, with, with basketball. And so it was kind of a weird combination of a, a computer nerd and a basketball player. It didn't really, wasn't really a thing back in the day. Uh, and so, yeah, I just kind of fell in love and been doing somewhat both ever since, per se, if you want to say that. That's great. That's a fun uh, story for you. People that listen to my podcast, and then hopefully we get some you know new folks out of this. Uh, this is episode number fifty-one, I believe. One of the things I'm going to be doing over the next you know few months is is kind of this string of sports marketing. Uh, guests. Uh, sports is a big passion of mine, just about every single sport. Um, unfortunately, I root for some New York teams, well, all New York teams, and uh, we're not exactly in an up cycle on, on my teams at the moment. But all that said, I, I think we're going to have some great guests and, and you're leading that off. So thanks for doing that. Let's you know, go back. I like to give uh, the folks uh, that are listening kind of a, a little bit of a backstory, the first story of my guest. So Sean, give us some perspective. Where did you grow up? Um, family life, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I kind of grew up, um, you know, a basketball player. I don't know if you guys can hear me or not uh, on, on how tall I am, but I'm six nine. Um, and I grew up in Southern California and my dad was a little progressive. And so we always had computers at the time at the home. Um, and so I had two kind of two passions growing up. Uh, this weird computer world where I was designing websites and really love and delve into that, uh, but also had a love for basketball. Throughout high school, I was always, you know, building websites and connecting things and uh, built an e-commerce website in high school selling car parts. Um, had a lot of fun and success with that. 
but I had also a lot of good influence in my life. And they said, Sean, don't go to college and play basketball um, to just get a degree and, and try to focus. You know, no one's, not everyone's going to be an NBA basketball player. Um, and so they said, go, if you're going to get to college paid for it and you're lucky enough to get a scholarship, make sure you get something out of it. Uh, so I ended up getting a business degree um, from, from UNC Charlotte here locally, really kind of did all the things necessary in college to really kind of still keep my web design skills sharp or whatever you want to say. Um, and through, because of basketball, I, uh, I registered in my freshman year. So I had a fifth year senior option. And so, um, at, later on in the end of my senior year in college, uh, one of my friend's dad's like, Hey, I got a company we need a website. Can you build me a website? I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. So I built him a website and then he referred me to someone else and I built him a website. Um, and before I even graduated college, uh, I was playing basketball and building websites and had my own website company per se, all kind of loaded up there. And so, um, by the time I graduated, it was, you know, 2008 and, you know, the major housing recession was happening. No one was getting jobs. Um, and so I decided, I was like, you know what, maybe I'm onto something here. And uh, I kind of dove head first and started building websites uh, for a whole bunch of small companies all over Charlotte and really was doing digital marketing before the digital marketing term was really around. Right. Um, so it kind of turned into website, social media, all that, all the stuff around there. Yeah, so that that's great. We're going to get into that in a bit because you know I think that you were you know kind of early and especially um, you know and maybe we'll we'll tackle that now. It's a little bit out of order, but your first role, I guess, was at the Bobcats, the Charlotte Bobcats um, in sports marketing. You know, this was 2010, so it's 12 years ago. A lot has changed uh, digital marketing. So, what was your your mandate when you got to that role? What what did they want you to do? Yeah, so um, Bob, Bobcats at the time, right, was just a, a news website. It was photos, videos, here's the story of the game. I was able to, one, A, combine both my passions, which was awesome, right? Um, I had this web design business that was up and running, but I was like, there's, there's an opportunity here for me to work in sports. And I didn't know at the time that that was actually even a thing, right? Um, I think a lot, of, a lot of people don't understand that there's a whole business out of sports when you're in high school and college. You know, I was able to take their website and build out more interactive elements, build out, you know, um, microsites within there. Um, you know, email marketing became a thing, hire an email marketing person, right? Social media became a thing, hire a social media person, and really kind of grew um, the bobcats.com web presence into interactive ways. We wanted to start collecting data and, and fan information, right? We were one of the first NBA teams to pilot an app. And so like in that like 2010 to four or five years there, digital marketing per se really became a thing, right? Um, and a lot of ways you want to activate digitally. And, you know, I applied the NBA. I think they're one of the more progressive digital uh, sports leagues um, within the United States. And so uh, it was a really cool time to be part of the NBA because we were able to take, you know, just like a living, breathing, like news site and build it into interactive elements and player pages, you know, microsites and, and things like that. So it, it was, it was a great time. I love, I love working there. Um, and just being part of the team at that time. What was the role that the NBA played in there? You know, I think if you look at, um, you know, the major sports leagues uh, today, you know, they have, you know, there's a lot of standardization and control over the the team sites. You know, you go to MLB.com and, <clears throat> excuse me, everything is powered, you know, and they all the, uh, the, the sites themselves, other than the content being different, the framework and the structure is the same, which makes a lot of sense, right? You know, you guys shouldn't be in the, my opinion, you shouldn't necessarily be in the in the tech and, and UI UX kind of business. You just populate the content to create uh, fan engagement, I imagine. But back then, was it kind of a free-for-all? So they just started uh, standardizing websites, but they still allowed a lot of custom you know, widgets and custom code 
Um, so there'd be days where I broke the Bobcats homepage because I was messing around with some code and didn't put a div tag somewhere, right? Um, and so it'd be like, oh, and you know, me and my boss would be sitting there freaking out because you know, you know, that's at the time it still got a lot of visits and a lot of users that that we thought. And so there'd be times where we'd have to call up the MVA, hey, can you go, re you know, revert back to an hour ago? Um, and so I think that was fun. Um, but I think, and you know, coming into today's world and we're kind of hopping back and forth is websites were meant for, you know, writers and, and people like that. And so sports didn't know how to really understand someone who wanted to code and wanted to really do a lot of customizations. They wanted to kind of lock down and keep it, all the websites kind of templatized as sad as it is that it's still that way today. And, you know, working in the NFL now, it's even worse. So there's a lot of uh, things we've done in the last few, last few years that uh, have, have pushed them to, to, to allow us to do more. All right. And, you know, I think one of the things, uh, you know, we talk about on this uh, show is, you know, allowing the listeners to, you know, come away with a, a few things that they can bring back to either their personal life or to their business life. And, you know, one of the things already that you've talked about is, is kind of turning a passion uh, that somebody has into a career. And, you know, not all of us are lucky enough to be able to, uh, to do that, but, you know, clearly you have. So that, that's great. Yeah, I, I feel very lucky that I've been able to ride this, you know, so-called digital marketing wave for however long, however long it's been. <laughs> right. So you were with the Bo Bobcats for about four years, and then you left there to go to a company called Pentair, which, you know, I'd love for you to tell us just a little bit about and, and kind of the role that you had. But my first question is why? Why did you leave? You know, you had this passion, sports, and now you, you leave to Pentair. Tell me. So this is this is the key, right? Um, I think what a lot of people in sports don't realize is it's a grind, right? Uh, when you first enter in sports, the pay sucks, the hours suck. You have to really grind for a, a long amount of years in order to get anything out of it. Um, and so at the time, I, I had my first kid and my second kid came along a lot quicker than I thought. And I think I was just, I was ready to kind of to break out. And there was, I was a little, it hit a kind of a stagnant growth within, within sports and knew that I wanted to do something bigger and better and um was offered an opportunity to go join the corporate ranks um and you know to be honest with you it was it was not fun i was selling fish pumps to aquaculture farmers and i had no idea what, what that even was it was an interesting decision um i did it for my family but i also am so thankful that i went that route because i went from being kind of a content creator on the sports side that was fun i was around the team every day to basically getting my teeth kicked in for the first three or four months because i was like hey i want to post something on social and they're like okay well how much money is that going to bring in Right. Or, you know, why explain to me what the ROI on that is. And I, and I, you know, had this like really creative digital marketing mind with not a revenue backing. And so I spent the first two years there, uh, had great leaders uh, at Pentair and really allowed me to take my hardworking, you know, sports knowledge and, and really like that, that athlete mentality into a corporate setting where a lot of times people in corporate are just, Hey, I'm here, I'm doing my time and I'm gonna go home and enjoy it. And I kind of took the hardworking mentality in a progressive, you know, digital marketing fashion where we, we grew our social media channels. We, we you know, went, you know, 20% year over year growth on our e-commerce site, um, did a whole bunch of like new digital marketing facets, introduced A-B testing. It was a really exciting time, I think, in my career, but also um, really humbling in a way, right? Because I went from like working at a stadium every day to working at a manufacturing plant. Um, and people are like, what do you do with aquaculture? What is that, right? And so um, to give some background on, on Pentair, Pentair, um, was a, a, a global pure play water company. So they're, they're mostly known for their pool equipment. They decided, hey, if we create pool equipment for pools, we can take it in this new industry of aquaculture, which is like, you know, commercial fish farming. And so they spun up and bought a bunch of companies uh, to buy, to create an aquaculture business. And we were a small startup. 
uh, with them backed by a, a giant, at the time, Fortune 500 company. Um, so we had a lot of opportunity and a lot of um, the cash flow to do really cool and exciting things. Um, and so I was able to make a lot of noise in the digital marketing space because I was able to um, use a lot of, you know, like techniques to get seen. And, you know, we were a $300 million business and we were doing more in the digital marketing space than our billion dollar, you know, other counterparts. And so um, my fast track to Pentair was pretty awesome as far as, you know, the quick co corporate growth that I was able to establish, right? We brought in a CMO about two years in and I was just a low level, like digital marketing manager. And he brought me under his wing saying, I want to, I want you to help create, you know, our digital transformation. And what does that look like? And so um, I was able to build a lot of, you know, digital presentations, educate a lot of executives on what digital marketing is, why you need to invest in it. Um, you know, why, if you think that color is green and you're the CMO, it's got to be green, but I think it needs to be red because the data is telling me it's red. And so like a lot of that really cool things of um, being able to kind of do that and, and, you know, understand, hey, if you want any money or capital, you got to have a, a really good business case for it. And that didn't happen in the sports world. And so I was able to really grow quickly and also, you know, kind of shape who I am today because I, you know, basically got yelled at a whole bunch of times like, I need, I need revenue numbers here. What's the ROI here? What's the return on ads? How are you going to do it? And I, I'm thankful for that, uh, for that where, where it got me. Yeah. And, and so that's something, you know, that is interesting to me that I'd, I'd want to probe a little bit, you know, so when I think of, of sports marketing, it's a little probably dated, um, but it's more to what it was when you got started in it, that it was more around getting stuff out and less about the measurement of success and even, you know, having defined what success is. And we're going to talk a bit about what you're doing at Tepper, but has that changed for you over time? I mean, you know, from when you started in sports marketing, are there much clearer and defined KPIs and metrics in the sports marketing digital world than there were when you got started? A hundred percent. Right. Um, and so I think that's the part where I never thought, honestly, when I left sports, I never thought I'd go back into sports. I never thought there'd be a role, you know, once I left Pentair, I never thought there'd be a role where I'd be able to blend, you know, kind of, and the, the word performance marketing has kind of sprung up as the new umbrella under digital marketing or whatever you want to call it, right? I think I never envisioned myself going back into sports because there was always, you either, I either got to come up with funny memes on social media to be in, in the digital world, right? Or, or that. And so now I've kind of be able to blend Hey, look, we can run campaigns to acquire new leads and 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 give them to sales to sell new PSLs, right? And so now my my current role in Tepper Sports Entertainment is more of a revenue driving performance role, right? Where everything we do is backed by data. Everything we do is trying to drive the more revenue for the company. Yes, we have social teams that are super creative and and they keep our fans engaged. Um, but we're taking that data and and essentially either selling it or using it for our advantage to get new sales, sell more tickets, increase our partnership revenue. Um, and that's the part where I think not many sports teams have really started to figure out to un unlock, like, honestly, the power of what our data is for a sports team, because we have so much information on our customers, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's like retail, you know, I've spent most of my career in the retail business and, you know, you kind of hit the, the four letter, one of the four letter words data. Um, and you mentioned selling data. Um, I made a note, we're going to come back and talk about that in a minute. So you left Pentair, you go off and you spend a couple of years, you know, still in the corporate side at Ingersoll Rand. Um, I guess, what did you do at, at, at IR? Yeah. So Ingersoll was a, was a fun time. Um, so I, I wanted to basically, Pentair took me, I was down in Florida, back down in a, like in the Raleigh Cary area. And I wanted to find a way to get back to Charlotte. Charlotte was, Charlotte was my home. 
Ingersoll Rand was at the time was a, a really big company that you know they own train, um, train air conditioning units, commercial and residential, Thermo King, um, and a whole bunch of other like um, industrial lines with compressors and stuff like that, and Club Car at the time too. And so, based off the kind of success I had with Pentair, I joined a newly founded strategic marketing team, which was kind of like the high growth, you know, enterprise corporate level team that was basically a consultant for the rest of all the SBUs. And Ingersoll Rand at the time had about three or four hundred marketers um, all in the company. And so we kind of helped shape and drive that. Um, and I think at that time, the word center of excellence started to come about. It was kind of an engineering term that kind of translated into marketing. Um, so I was the digital marketing and demand generation center of excellence leader. Um, so I partnered with a lot of the marketing teams to help them, you know, optimize their campaigns, help them understand things, connect them with each other, and just, you know, use our, our company and our voice um, to cross share information and to connect people as well in order to kind of drive that. But a year into the Ingersoll Rand, right, as with a lot of corporate companies, there's spinoff, there's mergers and acquisitions and all that stuff. You know, the company had an interesting uh, spinoff slash acquisition where they were Garner Denver acquired Ingersoll Rand assets. And then we launched a, a, a pure play climate company and train technologies. It was very cool to be on the, on the ground floor, you know, pitching, you know, a bunch of C-suite executives that make way more money than any of these, a lot of these athletes do, um, as far as like, hey, you know, this is the company, here's the brand we want to launch, a new brand out of nowhere, right, which doesn't happen often. Um, we'd done that, but also then spinning off the Ingersoll Rand business. And so it was a lot of work in a, like a 12-month span. And yeah, and then after that, you know, the, the Carolina Panthers came calling with this director of digital marketing and it, and it was crazy because I was a Panthers PSL owner, a Panthers fan ever since I moved to Charlotte in 2005. And like I said, I never thought I'd get back into sports, but man, here we were. The Panthers had an opportunity for me. I didn't, I kind of, it was just like the Bobcats, you know, 15 years ago, like the stars kind of aligned. Um, and I just feel lucky that I'm able to do that. My, unfortunately, I've turned my son into a crazy spoiled Panthers kid because he's, you know, he wears Panthers gear every day at school. He's got every shirt jersey he wants and it's just uh it's funny to see that whole kind of him and the rest of my other my other three girls kind of really adopt all things panthers and now shot fc as well well that's that's great i have a uh, a friend who's a really big panthers fan so he's uh he's gonna really like the fact that uh, we did this show you know I, I think the other thing you know we we talked about you know takeaways uh you know you got a job in your passion but you also you know we're not afraid to make a leap into a different vertical and away from that passion and you know all too often you know we kind of start in a particular uh, vertical of work and then either the the work community doesn't allow us to to stray from our lane um, in your case you know you were lucky and and sometimes we don't want to stray from our lane so you know that's another good takeaway for people that you know you can sometimes get out of your comfort zone um, or something that you think is your passion to try something else because you know it gives you an opportunity to see a different perspective so that that's great that you've uh, been able to do that do you have a direct-to-consumer business? I enjoy connecting with guests on this podcast because it reminds me what I love to do, strategic and tactical consulting for businesses like yours. If you'd like to speak with me about your business and see how you can add a fresh set of eyes to your team, contact me at mark at detailsinteractive.com. Now let's get back to the marketing playbook. Let's go now to, to Tepper Sports. Um, what is Tepper Sports and who is this Mr. Tepper? Yeah, so David Tepper is the owner of the Carolina Panthers, Charlotte FC, and Bank of America Stadium. So Tepper Sports Entertainment is kind of the uh, holding company for the Carolina Panthers, Charlotte FC, and Bank of America Stadium. Essentially, I was hired by the Carolina Panthers. At the time, Tepper then bought an MLS franchise. 
um, and Tepper Sports Entertainment kind of became a thing. Um, you know, probably need to, we probably need a better job on our, on our branding efforts there. Um, but the Carolina Panthers brand is so strong. The Charlotte FC brand is so strong. And within Charlotte, the Bank of America Stadium brand is so strong. So it doesn't make really make sense to have an umbrella company over that. But yes, there are, to give some guidance, there are some, there are Tepper Sports Entertainment employees, there are Carolina Panthers employees, there are Charlotte FC employees. And so um, it all depends where you fall within the organization um, with, within the digital marketing realm, right? Because we are kind of a performance marketing revenue generating department. Uh, we kind of oversee all uh, all of that for for all of our properties to make to kind of streamline and essentially build the somewhat center of excellence within Tepper Sports Entertainment. Of, this is how we're going to do uh, you know, digital marketing campaigns and activations and stuff like that. So is it you, you talk about performance marketing. So is the goal of uh, the work that you are doing uh, is to generate revenue for the business. So explain what those revenues are that you're trying to drive. Yeah. So anything from, you know, single game ticket sales to new PSLs uh, for both Panthers and Charlotte FC. Um, you know, if we have a stadium, we have a stadium has an event or a concert coming in town selling concert tickets. So a lot of it is like running those campaigns um, in order to drive, you know, any type of sales as well. And then, you know, another way that sports teams make money is through partnerships, right? So it's also helping the partnership team um, help help them ideate on certain campaigns or promotions to work with partners to help make sure they get the most out of their partnership, right? Um, so a lot of times, you know, big brands partner with sports teams to get their name out there. Uh, but in today's world, right, CMOs are getting smarter. They're like, okay, I, I know that I spend this, I should expect an extra return. And so like no longer are the days of just slapping a logo on our, our big screen and calling it a day. Like we got to do a lot more for our partners um, in order to keep them around it and keep them happy. As far as product sales, are you selling products on your sites or does that all get powered by like a Fanatics or something? Yeah, it's all powered by Fanatics. They own a lot of NFL teams, they own NFL shop as well. Um, so we, you know, we're in daily talks with fanatics on how things are going. Um, but the one thing fanatics does is they kind of help teams that, you know, historically aren't, aren't good at doing the digital marketing stuff. Right. So fanatics someone say, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll handle your entire e-commerce shop for you. Right. Um, and so, yeah, the, the day-to-day -day, like merchandise sales and stuff like that is all handled by fanatics. All right. And so the data that you're capturing, whatever it is, how are you using that data to then, you know, kind of flywheel into generating other revenue and, and additional fan engagement? Yeah. So we have a lot of ticket data, right? So anyone that, anyone that comes to a game or a concert, we, we know who you are, right? And so we're able to do that, load it into Facebook, build out, you know, look like audiences and different type of audiences as well. Um, but the one really cool thing about the NFL too, is if you ever play Madden or if you ever engage with any type of NFL property and you're within our HMA, um, we have the ability to market to you, right? So we're able to build out all these different profiles of who our, who our potential customer or fan might be, um, and then build out different audiences within you know Facebook and other, other advertising platforms in order to reach certain audiences that we want to do. Um, and that type of marketing hasn't really been done too much in the NFL in the last two years. We're, we're just now standing up like, you know, performance marketing processes and stuff like that. Um, but because, you know, for the longest time, the NFL kind of sold itself, right? They didn't have to market. Um, they, you know, teams, you know, sold out every game and, you know, they have, you know, every, the stadium's full and people love them. So whenever that's, that's the biggest thing is why I think the NFL is a little bit behind in the corporate world. And I know we'll probably get to that, but, um, you know, it, it, it's such a product that sold itself. It didn't really have to be marketed. Why, why grow marketing teams, you know, in the past, if, you know, you're going to sell out every game, there's no reason to market. You can take care of your current customers and. And that's it. So it's a, an interesting dynamic in, in the NFL, but I think we're primed for growth um, and excited for, for this new world of, of, of that. 
So, you know, one of the biggest assets that you have besides the, the brand name of, of your businesses are the athletes, right? And what, what is that, where does that line get drawn between the fact that they're under contract as players and them being a part of the marketing machine of your brands? How, how do you get access to them? You know, how does that work? Yeah, it, it varies, right? Um, I think it all depends on their, at the end of the day, we want to grow the Panthers brand and the players are part of the Panthers brand, but they also have their own brands. How are we um, able to utilize them? Um, but if there's anything we really need to sell or do, or you know, do for the community or whatnot, we have access to the players. And that's, that's a really, really, really cool thing is, um, you know, yes, we might not get Christian McCaffrey every time to promote something, um, but there's so many other players that do things like that. Um, but when, if we do have a major campaign and we need to help, we can always go to, you know, a bigger level star. And that's the cool thing about working in a sports team is you can utilize them to grow the Panthers brand and also grow their individual brand as well. All right. Yeah. That would uh, seem to make sense. You mentioned before, you know, about taking the data, you know, using it in Facebook, you know, being relevant, you know, there's so much uh, that's changed over the last, you know, six to 12 months within Facebook and Instagram and, and other uh, digital properties because of changes in iOS and, and all, how has that changed the way you are thinking about your spend and your performance? We're still using Facebook um, pretty heavily for a lot of our spend, um, but we're not, kind of putting all of our eggs in one basket, right? We still want to make sure we have a good marketing mix. Um, and we are, you know, the one really cool thing about the NFL is there, there's, we are able to stay on top of whatever, you know, iOS or cookie list future that might be happening. Um, but we're just trying to, you know, test and learn every day. And that's all we can do is continue to continue to work with, with what is in front of us today. Um, and then any changes that happen, we're going to test and learn and optimize and go from there. And so, you know, I think there's going to be a whole bunch of changes coming down in the future, but the one thing we control is what we're doing today. And, you know, whatever happens tomorrow, we will change and adapt and, uh, you know, test and learn and optimize everything we're doing. And so, you know, we really can't control, you know, what Apple or Facebook decide to do with whatever they allow us to do. Um, but the one thing we can do is test and learn as much as possible. And when you think about, you know, all the things that you're doing, you know, I touched a little bit on, on metrics before you talked about performance. If you had to identify for us, you know, just a handful, a couple of the metrics that, you know, each morning you come in and, you know, to try and give yourself some perspective of how you're doing, what do you look at? So, yeah, we look at a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot of things, but the high level things we want to do is write it how does it line up to revenue? What are our revenue goals, right? How do we support sales? Um, what, what, let's say they're, you know, they're on pace to get a X number of dollars, a million dollars in sales. Where are we pacing with that? Um, and then how do we use our marketing campaigns and levers to help assist with that, right? And so everything from return on ad spend, we, we track cost per lead every single day. Um, and then we're also trying to understand what's our engagement like um, either on social or, or outside of social on a website and app, right? How many users can we funnel in there? Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things that go in each kind of vertical, um, whether it be performance marketing, we, we call all of our website and app digital experiences, right? And we also have like a marketing automation arm. So like, you know, how, what's our open rate? How many people are engaged with our emails? How are we growing our subscriber list? And so I think we do a lot of, of daily metrics, um, but also understanding the history and, um, and the insights of, of how, how campaigns are running. Tell us a little bit about uh, the way you interact with the other teams. They presumably have, you know, marketing people, digital marketing people like you. Are you able to take advantage of, uh, you know, learning across the different teams? This is the one thing that I love the most about the NFL and all sports franchises, right? Nine times out of 10, uh, I can call or email up another team and say, hey, how'd you do that campaign? And the one really cool thing that they'll do is say, 
yeah, let's set up a call, talk about it. Here's our marketing plan. Here's how we did it. Here's how it performed. Here's what we learned. Um, something that's really cool that you don't see anywhere else in any corporate entity. Um, and it gives me so much passion and I love interacting and connecting with other people just to talk shop because we're all, we all have the same issues. We all have the same problems. And so at the end of the day, we're all just trying to grow the NFL pie or the NBA pie or just the sports pie. Um, and it's so exciting to be able to talk to other teams um, and just to learn what they're, what they're doing and how we're doing. Uh, that's the one part that I love about working in sports is people are so open and, you know, we're, we can be competitors on the field or the court, but on the business side, everybody's open and, you know, usually very friendly. And it's just, it's just great to hear that because we're all, we're all have the same issues. We all have the same things we're working on. Um, and that's what I love, love about working in sports right now. You'll appreciate this. We're, we're down to uh, the two minute drill. It's the end of the show. You're the first guy that, uh, you know, was relevant that it was a two minute drill. Um, I'll ask you seven questions, just one or two word answers. And uh, we'll hear what you have to say. How's that? Uh, well, that works. Okay. Number one, a brand that you admire or that inspires you. I think that that's gotta be Nike. Okay. The favorite app on your phone. ESPN or Instagram. Last website other than Amazon that you shopped from? StockX buying shoes. Ah, so is that for the uh, the six nine guys? It is for the um, people that like shoes that miss the when they when get released. I think that the Jordan One retro Jordan Ones are the new Cole Hans of the sports business world, and so any way you can get away with wearing Jordans to work, uh, I think is is awesome. Okay, something that you're good at that you're not good at, but wish that you were. I want to learn more about the crypto slash NFT world. I've dabbled a little bit, but I think there's a lot more uh, to learn and excited about where that future is going. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I should have asked about uh, NFTs and and all. You know, I'm a, I mentioned I'm a Giants fan, and uh, I'm going to have a guest from the Giants uh, coming up uh, in the next month or so. And they just did a launch yesterday of NS NFTs, and uh, it had a pretty good uh, result, I believe. Yeah, we we've, we've launched a few on on the Panthers and NFL side too, and we sold them for 10 bucks to pop and they were selling for a hundred to 500 bucks a piece after the fact it's, it's, it's mind blowing to me. And, you know, I want to learn more about it. So yeah, I, me, I, that me too. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Charitable organization that you're passionate about. Yeah. One within Charlotte, it's called sports business camps. I don't know if you, I can give you a quick, they're a, a nonprofit that supports business education for women and diverse students. Um, so they kind of give opportunities and insights of what happens in the sports world, not on the field. So I'm, I'm passionate about that. If you had one superpower, what would it be? I feel like everyone has this answer, the ability to fly or, or travel instantly, right? Okay. Other than family, what's your most prized possession? Other than family, I don't know if I, some people consider dogs family, but I have a great Dane uh, who's my right-hand person. She's awesome. She loves me. Uh, and I'm clearly her person and I'm six, nine and have a giant dog. It kind of fits me, fits me perfectly. I was going to say, of course you have a great Dane. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, you, you've got such a, a interesting uh, experience. Where can people reach out to you on social media, Sean? I think the best way is LinkedIn. Um, you know, I, I love talking to students and up and coming, you know, um, young professionals. Uh, I'm, I'm very passionate about helping educate people that there is a, another side of sports. There's another side than just posting on social media. Right. I think in today's world, uh, in the digital world, right, like when we were growing up, it's like, oh, you know how to work Microsoft Office and Excel? You're a computer person. And in today's world, it's like, yes, everybody has ran a social media account or done something on social. So like, let's all not try to be social media managers anymore. Let's try to find different ways to drive revenue or, you know, impact your business or your, or your sports team. 
outside of social. So that, that's, that's part that I'm pretty passionate about. All right. Thanks for spending the time with me today, Sean. And we really good story. Continued success to you and to uh, the teams that you're responsible for. Best of luck. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate everything. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Sean Failer for coming on the marketing playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, Sean spoke about his rise in the sports marketing world. He's been able to do what so many of us wish that we could do, turn a passion or a hobby into a career. Look for ways to take your interests and develop them into something that you can make money from. Do not be afraid to take that leap. Number two, as we develop a career within a certain business vertical, we sometimes get identified with that vertical. I've spent most of my career in the apparel space, and oftentimes people in the beauty space, as an example, could not see me involved with them. To me, that's narrow thinking. So much of what we do in digital marketing is transferable from one vertical to another. Look for opportunities to move outside of an area that you know and bring those ideas to another one. Number three, take a survey periodically of the new ideas that you're bringing into your job. If you've not tried new things or uncovered new tactics, you're not trying hard enough. Sports marketing, as an example, for the longest time was about branding. Now, as you heard from Sean, the metrics and performance really drive what they're doing. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at DetailsInteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details. Yeah.